Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, and today we're going to be taking a quick glance at UFC 249, Tony El Kukui Ferguson versus Justin the Highlight Gaethje. It just got announced yesterday, the full card, all of UFC 249, and as you guys know, on Fight Week, I'll break down the whole card with Shaq, we'll give our picks, we'll do the whole bit, but right now, since we thought we weren't going to get a UFC card for a very long time, I'm going to give you guys a very special first glance at this UFC 249 card. So today, I'm just going to give you my thoughts on every matchup, but I'm not going to be giving a pick. The picks are coming uh, for fight week. Don't worry about that. You already know the drill. But right now, let's just sit back and uh, talk about some of these matchups for a little bit. So firstly, I got to give you guys a big shout-out because, man, uh, these times we're all in it together. You guys are handling it amazingly, and I know we're all so excited about this event that's going down, whether it's at Tai Chi Palace, whether it's at uh, the private island, it doesn't matter. As long as it's being contested in a safe and healthy way, I'm all in. And uh, guys, it's time to make some money. But first, let's talk about the UFC 249 a bit. So Tony Elkukui Ferguson is taking on Justin Gaethje. And this is a hell of a matchup for a lot of reasons. Actually, if you go back and you check out one of Justin Gaethje's old tweets, I believe it was either 2011, maybe 2013, he was talking about how, hey, Tony, take me to that dark place of yours. Well, uh, come uh, Saturday, April 18th uh, at Tachi Palace, I believe, Tony Ferguson might take Justin Gaethje to that dark place of his, especially if this fight hits deep waters. Now, the narrative going around is that Justin Gaethje early or Tony Ferguson late. And I can see where people are coming from with that. I mean, Justin Gaethje is known for those first-round knockouts. But one thing I want to point out, a little fact here. Did you know in that fight versus Dustin Poirier that Justin Gaethje, the one round he won was actually round three. So this whole narrative that he doesn't have a chance in the deep, in the deep waters, not sure I buy it because, again, the one round he won versus the former lightweight interim champion, Dustin Poirier, was round three. He got the second round knockout against Michael Johnson, who, by the way, beat Tony Ferguson. But on the flip side, people saying that Tony Ferguson can't come out here and win the fight early. I disagree with that, too. I mean, this is a guy in Tony Ferguson that now officially he hasn't you know, recorded a one-punch knockout since Katsunori Kukuno in 2014. But if you really go back and examine this guy's record. I mean, it's not his fault that he tagged up Edson Barboza so bad that Edson Barboza, the striker, was the guy that initiated a takedown attempt, got darsed as a result. It's not uh, Tony Ferguson's fault that both Anthony Pettis and Donald Cerrone, two very credentialed strikers, didn't answer the bell for the third round where they would have potentially gotten one punch knocked out, where they would have gotten one punch KO'd, so... I wouldn't sit here and discredit the power of Tony Ferguson at all, but what he's known for is that death by a thousand cuts. He really breaks these guys down, and I have a feeling this is going to be an all-out war until either one man falls or until these guys are awarded fight of the year for a five-round war. So while I do think it's probably not going to go the full distance, if it does, expect an early candidate for fight of the year because the way these two fight, I know for a fact that, look, I know one guy's a D1 wrestler, that's uh, Justin Gaethje. And also, Tony Ferguson, he's an NCWA wrestler, also a black belt in jiu-jitsu under Eddie Bravo. Don't expect anyone to try to sniff crotch in this fight, you know what I mean? Uh, expect these two to try to go out there and uh, kill each other as sportsmen, you know what I'm saying? Uh, under the regulated uh, rule set, you know what I mean? The unified rules. That That's what they're going to do in there, but... 
what I love about the dynamic of this fight is that power that Gaethje brings to the table. And with Tony Ferguson, you've seen him get dropped by lesser guys. I'm talking about guys like Lando Venata. I'm even talking about guys like Anthony Showtime Pettis. No disrespect to the former champion. It's just that you have to wonder if Gaethje lands on that chin, will he be able to actually put the lights out? Or is Tony Ferguson going to be able to survive like he always does? And, man, Tony Ferguson is such a crafty guy. When he gets dropped, you see him going out there. And, you know, he's not going to just dive on a leg. The guy's over there doing Gramby rolls to survive. You've never seen anything like it before in your life. And you start to shoot sloppy takedowns on a guy like Tony Elkukui Ferguson. He will snap you down. He will get you in that darse choke. But on the feet, you start to gas out. Your hands start to come down to your waist. The guy's going to get off on those inside leg kicks, the body shots. He, he really is the boogeyman. And Justin Gaethje, man, that guy's a terminator. Hits so damn hard. Has the D1 wrestling background. Probably the most knockouts in, in lightweight in MMA today, just his whole entire resume. Uh, the guy is such a knockout artist. Vicious power. This fight has all the recipe to truly be either one of the best fights we've ever seen ever in the history of the sport or a highlight reel finish on either side. So I cannot wait to see what happens in this fight. And I cannot wait to break it down from a betting perspective, give you guys my pick, who I'm rolling with. Uh, it's going to be one hell of a matchup. Let me know in the comment section who y'all got. So in the co-main event, you got the rematch between Jessica Andraj and Rose Namajunas. It's an interesting fight because the narrative going into this one, now you look at that line, you see Rose Namajunas is a big favorite here. I don't know if y'all remember, but she got uh, slammed into the fifth dimension, her, her last fight. And listen, people were acting like, oh, she was dominating the whole fight and then a fluke slam and she got knocked out. Guys, don't, don't even try that narrative on me because I saw Jessica Andraj slam her in the first. I saw her slam her in the second. And then I saw her subsequently knock her out in the second round as well. So there were three slams that happened in that fight. I mean, it's not Jessica's fault that Rose got slammed on her head on that third and final one and, you know, didn't wake up for a little bit. So it, it is what it is. Uh, I also have a theory that, I mean, a theory, I, I watched it on tape. It looked like Rose was slowing down prior to that slam also. So that first round is going to be so crucial in this fight because Rose had such a speed advantage, such a technique advantage I'm curious if she can actually put away a girl like Jessica Andrade in the early going this time because you saw my girl Wiley Zhang do it, but Wiley Zhang's a different animal. Wiley Zhang is the undisputed strawweight champion. So it's a different fighter altogether. Also, you got to question the mindset of both ladies. Look, they're both coming off brutal knockout losses. Rose even retired after hers. Does she wanna does she really wanna get back on top and wear that belt one more time or is this a matter of revenge? Is this a paycheck? I mean, is it that she just want to get paid? I'm very curious to see what the mindset is of Rose Namajunas. Because with Jessica Andrade, I'm not expecting too many adjustments. I'm expecting the same, you know, little uh, strawweight John Lineker we always see. I expect her to go forward, eat shots in the early going, and then land some of her own. It's just about what happens in that early going. What happens in that early going is going to dictate what happens the rest of the fight because... Rose can get off early, but she starts to slow down a little bit on someone like Jessica Andrade. She will get slammed KO'd again. She might get KO'd with a left hook. It might be an overhand right. But at the same token, can Jessica Andrade keep taking all that damage she does in the first round of all her fights? Not just the last two, all her fights. So that's what that fight comes down to. And I know the line is very, very interesting. For someone that won by vicious knockout, you know, eight minutes into the fight. It wasn't like it was a third round and it was a fluke. I mean, she was she was slowly getting to her at the end of that first and then took over in the second and finished her. 
I'm I'm very intrigued uh, by this line. I'm curious uh, what y'all think. Do you think Rose should be the favorite? And if you do, do you think she should be this big of a favorite? Is there value on Andrade? Or did Wiley Zhang uh, put the nail in the coffin? So cannot wait to break that one down. Heavyweight division, Greg Hardy versus Jorgan De Castro. I like this fight a lot, man, because look, Greg Hardy, uh, for a guy with no MMA experience, comes into the UFC, and I got to tell you what, he's been doing his thing. He's literally been grown right before our eyes. I mean, we saw his pro debut on Dana White Tuesday Night Contender. We saw his second ever pro fight on Dana White Tuesday Night Contender. Took one on the regional scene. And ever since then, he's been in the UFC. So the guy's grown right before our eyes. He's had eight pro fights at this point. And it's one of these things where his last fight, he was in there with a top five guy in Alexander Volkov. Now, granted, all three judges scored the fight 30-27. He got schooled as he should have. But you got to imagine a fight like that will only elevate him to that next level and let him know what kinds of things he's got to work on to be ready to compete against the, the upper echelon at heavyweight. And now with Jorgan De Castro, this is interesting because it's two heavyweight prospects. And with De Castro, I'm a fan, man. I like the fact that he went out there against Alton Meeks, landed those devastating leg kicks. And Alton Meeks is a guy I've actually called his fights uh, in the NFC before. So I knew exactly who he was when Jorgan went out there and finished him. Then I bet on Jorgan against Justin Taffa. Now, granted, that fight didn't last too long, but until he knocked out that, you know, until he landed that finishing blow, kind of seemed like Jorgan was losing the fight a little bit. But again, it was an under two-minute fight. I'm curious to see what happens here because I know for a fact Greg Hardy ain't about to... Look, Taffa was so comfortable teeing off on Jorgan de Castro that he abandoned all his defense, ran in, you know, face first and got caught with a big shot. I don't see Hardy doing that, but at the same time, you can't discount or discredit the power of Jorgan de Castro. The guy kicks like a truck. He punches like a goddamn Mack truck. But Greg Hardy is a serious athlete, so this will be one hell of a heavyweight fight. And in the welterweight division, you got the rematch between Vicente Luque and Nico Price. And man, I don't know if y'all remember the first fight. <laughs> I don't know if y'all remember the first fight, but uh, Vicente went out there and absolutely owned Nico Price in a way where we were wondering if Nico Price was ever going to come back the same. And I got to tell you guys what. Not only did he come back the same, he went on to have so many highlight reel finishes after that. Started off with the George Sullivan fight, which, by the way, we max bet Nico Price in that spot. Then the Randy Brown, unbelievable KO. Those hashtag hammer fists from bottom had a setback against, you know, one of the hardest knockout artists in the entire division, uh, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, who, by the way, was found not guilty. Cannot wait to see him back. The unbelievable knockout against Tim Means. That fight with Jeff Neal, which, by the way, I don't know if you guys recall, but Nico Price actually rocked Jeff Neal in that fight uh, until Jeff Neal was able to find the finishing blow with ground and pound. And then the James Vick knockout with that upkick. So Nico Price, man, he's been doing his thing. He's been stacking up those performance of the night checks, and uh, now he's got the chance to run it back with Vicente Luque, who, by the way, Vicente Luque is a guy who, prior to his fight with Wonderboy, he had won 10 out of 11 fights inside the UFC's octagon. Now, he fought Wonderboy, didn't go his way. He did get a fight of the night. He had a very good first round, and he took his ass whooping like a man in the second and third. Now, this fight between Nico and Vicente, the first time they fought, Vicente was levels ahead of him. Like, Nico didn't even get a chance to, you know, get his ass whooped and then land that one big shot. He didn't even want to throw that one big shot. Uh, Vicente owned him so bad. But, guys... It's been three years since that point, so I'm curious about the adjust the adjustments that Nico Price has made, and also, has Vicente Luque plateaued, or did he just run into Wonderboy Thompson? Let me know y'all's thoughts on that. Um, 
So, yeah, I can't wait to see where these two stand when they meet up uh, next Saturday, April 18th uh, at a location unknown. And in the featherweight division, I know y'all know I'm very excited about this matchup between Jeremy Lil Heathen Stevens and Calvin Cater. Now, for a long time, prior to Calvin Cater even being ranked, I was saying that he's a top five guy in the UFC right now. Well, if that's really the case, ladies and gentlemen, then he better be able to go out there and beat a guy like Jeremy Stevens. But the thing you got to understand about Jeremy Stevens, now listen, I know he holds the record for most losses in UFC history, but we got to give him credit too. He also has 10 performance bonuses. I mean, the guy hits so damn hard. And I remember when people were acting like uh, Jeremy Stevens' knockout power is a myth, which is the biggest joke I've ever heard. Just ask Josh Emmett how much of a myth Jeremy Stevens' knockout power is. Just ask Duho Choi, who never was ever the same after that fight, <laughs> what uh, what kind of myth uh, Jeremy Stevens' knockout power is. Even ask my boy Honey Jason. You remember when he won the Ultimate Fighter? Once he got knocked out by Jeremy Stevens, now the guy's punching holes through walls. And I'm not even going to say the other shit he was doing in Brazil. Uh, but Jeremy changes lives when he lands clean on that chin. And a guy like Calvin Cater, you know he's going to stand and trade with Jeremy Stevens for three straight rounds or until one man falls. So will that give Jeremy Stevens the opportunity to land his one blow? Because I'll tell you right now, if he doesn't land that one blow, he might lose a decision or he might get knocked out himself. I mean, Calvin Cater, for MMA standards, has some serious boxing. The takedown defense is on point, And the guy's experienced. I mean, to make your UFC debut against a guy like Andre Feely, 30-27 the guy, then he knocks out Shane Burgos, had the setback against Moicano. Everyone's got to take that first L. But the first-round knockouts against Fishgold and Lamas were a step in the right direction. Had the unfortunate setback against the beat, who also beat Jeremy. So this is going to be really interesting because right now the line is almost 3-1 to one for Cater. And that's going to be the big debate next week on the show. Should Cater be this high of a favorite? Is there value on Jeremy Stevens? Or... Uh, or is the line justified and Calvin's going to roll? I mean, I do have an opinion. I know who I'm going with, and I'm going to tell you guys next week right here, right now, on Half the Battle. Well, let me ask you all something because it's kind of funny. I should be called out for this. How can it be next week if it's going to be right here, right now, right? Yeah, y'all uh, y'all can go ahead and take that little audio clip and give me shit. But listen, guys, on, on a serious note, uh, Calvin Cater versus Jeremy Stevens is going to be bananas while it lasts, and... You know for a fact that those two are going to go out there, put their best foot forward, stand in the middle of that that Modelo logo. It used to be the Bud Light logo. Now it's the Modelo logo. And uh, trade until one man falls. We'll see who that one man is. I cannot wait. Heavyweight division. Now you know this card is stacked when the featured bout of the prelims is Francis Ngannou versus Jerzinho Rosenstrike. Now real quick, don't quote me on this being the main event of the prelims because... I also heard a chance that they were doing a six-fight main card and Francis was going to be the first fight of that, so that could be the case. But if it's the main if it's the main event of the ESPN prelims, that makes sense too because you know for a fact Francis and Jerzino, one guy's going to get knocked out cold. It's going to give you a lot of incentive to go out there and buy that pay-per-view. So regardless, uh, I'm sure they're going to make the right decision there. But guys, I mean... Anytime Francis Ngannou fights, I have to see it. This guy, Jerzinho Rosenstrike, he's been making waves. I mean, people need to remember, Jerzinho Rosenstrike made his UFC debut February 2nd, 2019. He's only been in the UFC slightly over a year, but every single fight he's won by knockout. Now, we can go ahead and, you know, who cares about the Junior Albinis and the Allen Crowders, but guys, at the same time, y'all remember Francis Ngannou was going out there and, you know, knocking out guys like Luis Henrique and Bojan Mihajlovic, and he submitted Anthony Hamilton. Hamilton. So it's not like it's not like Francis didn't have some cupcakes in his early going. But the thing is, 
Jerzino's leveled up. He knocked out Arlovsky and he knocked out Overeem. Now, I know those two guys are extremely chinny, but the bottom line is if you knock those guys out, you rocket yourself, you propel yourself to that upper echelon. Now he's got the chance to fight Francis Ngannou, and Francis should be favored for sure. Look, he's got the more UFC experience. I've I've called this guy a future champion before, but he, here's the place where I'm not going to count out a guy like Jerzino because if you guys remember, the last time Francis Ngannou fought... You know, another fellow scary striker uh, with insane knockout power was against Black Beast. And uh, Francis respected that guy's power a lot. Now, Jerzino Rosenstrike is a much more technical striker than Black Beast. And I know for a fact that if he touches someone on the chin, they're going down. I'm very curious to see if Francis is going to respect his stand-up too much. Is it going to be like the Black Beast fight where they're both waiting for one guy to throw that big shot, but that big shot never comes? Or... Has Francis learned from his mistakes? Going to go out there and try to let let him let him swing, man. Let him fly because if he does, he can knock out anyone on planet Earth. And you see this three fight win streak he's on. First round knockouts of Curtis Blades, Kane Velasquez, Junior Dos Santos. It's good to see Francis Ngannou get his confidence back. Because y'all remember, y'all were all y'all were all writing him off after those two fights he lost by decision, but now he's back in the win column in a big way, and now he's got a chance to solidify a title shot with a highlight real win over Jerzino Rosenstrike, and you can say the same exact thing about Rosenstrike. So I have a feeling it's not going to be like the Black Beast fight. I have a feeling someone will get knocked out, but let me know what y'all think. Are they going to respect each other too much, or uh, is someone going to take a canvas nap and get woken up uh, by the doctor looking up at the lights? So in the middleweight division, now this is a really interesting fight. You got Ronaldo Jacare Souza taking on Uriah Hall. Now, Currently, this this one I want to mention the odds to y'all. Currently, they got Ronaldo Jacare Souza minus one fifty, and Uriah Hall is plus one thirty. Now, if you would have told me <laughs> that Jacare would only be a minus one fifty favorite against Uriah Hall, you know, a year or two ago, I mean, that'd be max bet season. But I understand Jacare has been going through some tough times, and I'm friends with some guys that he trains with, and I, I know the mindset. I know he's not really aspiring to be champion anymore. Let's just leave it at that. So I'm not sure how motivated he is. But that being said, how much has Uriah Hall really changed? Because that's the big that's the big story going into this, that Uriah Hall's a new man. Oh, he trains at Fortis MMA, the two-fight win streak. But l- l- let's examine those two wins, not to discredit them at all. But I think we can all agree Bavon Lewis was clearly, clearly winning that fight until he got caught. And I think we can also agree that if Carlos Jr. took your back for over eight minutes of that fight, what's going to happen if Jacare Souza gets on your back? And now on the flip side with Jacare, I know he hasn't had the best run as of late, but uh, you know when you look at a guy like Jack Hermanson who has the balls to attack a black belt of the caliber of Jacare with guillotine chokes, I highly doubt Uriah Hall is going to do something similar to that. And also... The Jan Blakovich fight, look, I know it was a boring fight, but hey, Jacare still went to a split decision with a top five guy up a weight class. So I feel like the levels are a little bit different here. It's just a matter of, look, Jacare's 40 years old. Is he finally, you know, that old where he will lose to a guy like Uriah Hall? I'm just not entirely convinced. I personally think the line should be a little bit wider, but we're going to have to find out, man. I mean, look, I... I picked uh, Jack Hermanson to beat Jacare. I picked, I think I picked Jan Blakovich. I don't remember. I know, I know Shaq picked Jan Blakovich. I don't, I think I might have too. I don't remember, but I definitely picked Jack Hermanson. But here, you know, this isn't Jack Hermanson or uh, 
or Jan Blakovic. This isn't a top five guy. Uh, and I respect Uriah Hall. He can knock anybody out on planet Earth, but I think he might be getting a little bit too much respect here. Hey, if it's a highlight reel finish, I'll gladly eat my words. But first glance, I think that line might be a little bit too short. And we'll, uh, we'll see exactly what happens uh, next Saturday. Lightweight division. Now, this one I'm very excited about. Alexander Hernandez versus Omar Morales. Now, I like this fight a lot. I, I bet on Omar Morales, uh, his last fight against Dong Young Ma. But granted, this is a massive step up in competition. And I was actually wanting to bet Alexander Hernandez against Islam Makachev. Now, real quick, before y'all act all surprised about that, I mean, I was picking Islam to win, but guys, plus 350 for Hernandez there, that, that was a joke in a fight where I thought there were going to be a lot of back-and-forth uh, grappling exchanges, and it might have been closer than the line indicates, so I thought the value was on Hernandez, but now it's a completely different fight because Omar's a striker, Alex has the wrestling background, Omar's going to look to keep it standing, try to light up a guy like Alex Hernandez, and this could be a bit of a letdown spot for Hernandez because you're getting ready to fight Islam Makachev and, you know... Another top 15 guy, try to work your way up the rankings. Now you're fighting a guy who I know who he is. I mean, he was supposed to fight my, my good friend Robert Hale on the regionals, and then he pulled out, got the contender series call. Robert got to find LFA. He won the fight against Zach Fears. But y'all might not know who Omar Morales is. Alex Hernandez might have never heard of Omar Morales. So I'm going to tell you guys this right now. If Alex Hernandez thinks this is some kind of joke, if Alex Hernandez pulls out his thesaurus and he wants to try to use big words on fight week, he might get knocked out with a head kick. So Alex needs to be humble here. He needs to respect Omar because Omar is no slouch at all. And listen, listen to this, guys. Omar is 34 years old. So there's no there's no room for error here. There's no margin for error. You don't got to give this guy cupcakes and let him build his way up. No, he's got to make his run right now if he wants any chance of making an impact in the UFC lightweight division. And he's got an interesting dance partner, Alex Hernandez. Let, let me tell you, let me, let me talk a little bit about Alex Hernandez for a sec. So if y'all go back and y'all listen to my breakdown of the Benil versus Alex fight, I told everyone, do not parlay Benil in this spot. Because this kid, Alex, he might, he might spark him, and he did spark him. But I thought that was Alex's most impressive performance to date. The next fight against Olivier Aubin-Mercier, I know some act like it was impressive. I, I was underwhelmed. I mean, the guy's shooting for desperate takedowns, going face first into the mat, and then Cowboy, we bet on Cowboy there. That was easy work. And then the next fight against Trinaldo, I low-key thought Trinaldo won. So, again, this this is interesting. I'm curious if the line's a little bit too wide here or if this is just such a big step up in competition for Omar. But the thing is, Alex ain't the guy, to me, that you guys think he is. I, I think he might be a little bit overrated, but... uh. You know, maybe the maybe his wrestling background will be uh you know too big uh, for Omar to deal with here. So I cannot wait to see what happens in this fight. But uh, first glance, uh, I think that the line maybe should be a little bit tighter. But we'll see what happens after a little tape study and how they're acting on fight week. How many big words Alex has used, and uh, we'll take it from there. Bantamweight division. Now this one, man, I am excited for this fight because look, Marlon Chito Vera is taking on Ray Borg. And guys, uh, Marlon Chito Vera, look, when it's all said and done, this guy's going to go out there and break the record for most finishes in Bantamweight history. That's just how it is. He's already got eight on his record. It's crazy. And, you know, I, I can't sing enough praises for Marlon Vera. I know people I respect like to shit on him, but they, they don't know what they're talking about because they don't know about this guy's background. They don't know that he was out there in Ecuador at a gym called 50-50 training with cab drivers, and he made it to the UFC training with absolutely nobody. 
and went one and two in his UFC run when he was training down there in Ecuador. But then when he moved to the United States, now what, he's on an eight and two run? You, you see what I'm saying? It's a completely different guy. And not only that, He's very young. He's just a kid. He's only 27 years old. We've seen him in the UFC since he was like 21. So he's growing right before our eyes. And every single time we see him, we see a better version of him. Now with Ray Borg, it's interesting too. He's a really young guy as well. He's got some very good experience. His last fight against Rogerio Bontorin, oh my God, he mopped the floor with Bontorin in a way where I'm curious to see if Bontorin ever comes back the same because, man, I even picked Bontorin in that fight. I thought it was about to... Thought he was about to teach him a little lesson, but one thing we got to remember about that, guys. Not only did Ray Borg miss weight by a mile, that fight was supposed to be at 125 pounds. Rogerio Bontorin's tiny, man. Rogerio Bontorin's five foot four, guys. Like Cheeto Vera's a big boy for bantamweight, let alone fighting against a former flyweight. Cheeto Vera's five foot eight with a 70 and a half inch reach. Like Cheeto Vera, I could see him when he's 30 years old fighting at featherweight. The guy is huge for bantamweight, and now he's really filling out his frame. There is going to be a massive size difference here between Vera and Borg. Now, the big thing is what's going to happen with these takedown attempts because we've seen much lesser guys take down Cheeto Vera. I'm talking about Nohalene Hernandez. I'm talking about Guido Canetti. I'm talking about Luigi Buren. These guys are going out there and taking down Vera. Now, granted, Vera came back and finished all those fights. So what's going to happen here? You know, is Ray Borg going to miss weight up a weight class again? But no, but, but in all seriousness, when Ray Borg takes down Vera, is he just going to control him and, and completely nullify him and shut him down? Is Vera going to be able to get back up? Because on the feet, Vera is going to tee off on this guy. I'm telling you that right now. It's going to be flying knees. It's going to be elbows. It's going to be spins the whole bit. But on the ground, how much time can Ray Borg kill off that clock before Vera either attacks with some submissions of his own or gets back up to the feet and keeps uh, picking this guy apart? I can even see elbows from bottom too. So very, very intriguing fight at Bantamweight between Vera and Borg. Now, in the lightweight division, you got Michael Johnson taking on Kama Worthy. Another very interesting fight. Look, Michael Johnson, uh, when you talk about 500 fighters, you talk about Michael Johnson. His record is 11-11 in the UFC. And look, on this guy's best day, he's got wins over Tony Ferguson, Dustin Poirier, Edson Barboza, but on his worst day, the guy's going out there losing to Stevie Ray, losing to Darren Elkins, losing to Reza Madadi and Miles Jury. So you never know what to expect with him. But one thing you do know is if, uh, the, if the number matters to you more than picking the right guy, well, there might be value on Kama Worthy here. But the thing is, guys, I know Kama Worthy is really hyped up because he beat Devante uh, King Cage. But the thing about that is, you know, Kama Worthy has been knocked out like five times viciously prior to his UFC debut, but let me bring this up as well. All those fights were at featherweight, so is this a situation where Kama Worthy, he moved up to lightweight and, you know, his chin's holding up better and he's a new man, he's finally paid his dues? Or was that a, was that a Devante fight a bit of a fluke? That's, that's what I cannot wait to find out because Michael Johnson's going to let us know right away. If you can go out there and beat Michael Johnson, hey, you're probably going to stay in the UFC for a while. So I'm very intrigued by this matchup because I thought Kama looked a lot better in his UFC debut than he looked in a lot of his regional fights. But I also got to say, once again, the fights where he looked bad was at featherweight. At lightweight, he's looked like a new man. So I'm curious to see if that trend continues because Michael Johnson, again, on his best day, he can give the best of the best fits. Even the two guys in the main event of this card, Justin Gaethje. Now, Justin Gaethje beat him, but y'all remember Michael Johnson wobbled Justin Gaethje bad. He had him on all kinds of ice skates. And Michael Johnson beat Tony Ferguson. So, again, if this guy's on, he's focused, he's mentally there, he, he, can, he can hang in there with the best of them. 
It's just, uh, is he at that point of his career anymore? You know, being 11 and 11, that's, I mean, it's like Kevin Lee said at that press conference, the guys had 30 fights and he's lost half of them, right? So that was a really funny quote. So I cannot wait to see what happens with Johnson and Worthy. And interestingly enough, it's actually Johnson who's been viciously KO'd more recently than Kama Worthy. So a little, little something to throw out there. Uh, women's Bantamweight division, Sajara Eubanks versus Sarah Morass. Um, I mean, I guess I understand why Sajara Eubanks is favored. Uh, she's, you know projected to have a higher ceiling but she's also four and four as a pro i mean look she's beat better competition she beat roxanne she beat lauren murphy but up at uh up at bantamweight she looked like complete shit i mean she's zero and two and we can excuse the aspen lad fight but she got schooled by beth by my girl betch cohea in a way where betch cohea was out there putting on a boxing clinic against sarge and then so you think well what about the wrestling because sarah morass gives up some really easy takedowns well the thing with that is sarah morass is also known for sweeping and attacking off bottom so i'm curious to see if sajara can keep that top control and grind this one out or is sarah morass going to get that fluke sub uh because i'm not that impressed with sarge at at uh 135 i'm not that impressed with her in general man she's a four and four fighter and she's minus 320 here now i understand she's fighting sarah morass that that's the reason why it's the lowest level fight on this entire card. Now, first fight of the evening in the light heavyweight division, you got Ryan Spann taking on Sam Alvey. Now, this this should be good while it lasts because, look, a long time ago, and it wasn't that long ago, it was about uh, maybe two years ago, maybe a little bit over, when Ryan Spann fought Alex Nicholson. Now, if you just look at his record, it says a first-round knockout, but if you go back and watch that fight, it's a little more complicated than that because Ryan Spann was two punches away from being knocked out himself and Alex Nicholson was teeing off on him to a point where Alex actually gassed himself out, and then he got knocked out. It was crazy. So after that fight, I was like, dude, there's no way in hell Ryan Spann will ever be in the UFC, and if he does get signed, he's going to get blown out the water. Well, boy, was I wrong about that. Goes in there on Contender Series, beats Emiliano Sordi, who, by the way, Sordi ended up winning the million dollars for PFL, makes that UFC debut against Luis Henrique, uh, you know, a guy that's fought in Ghana, wins wins a hard-fought decision, but since that point, since he got his feet wet, man, the last two performances, he's been dominant. I mean, he destroyed Noguera in the first round, and he didn't just knock him out, guys. He also took him down and passed a side control, attacked for an arm triangle against a black belt of Noguera's caliber. And the Devin Clark fight, I mean, he had zero respect for anything that Devin Clark brought to the table. And Devin Clark's a guy that dropped Alexander Rakic twice. I mean, Devin Clark usually, at least in fights he loses, at least gives, you know, guys a little bit of problem, maybe lands one big shot, gets one takedown in there. He didn't do shit against Ryan Spann. So I feel like finally, 22 fights in Ryan Spann's uh, pro career, we are finally seeing... uh, the version that a lot of people were talking about for a very long time, uh, the kid is definitely talented. It's just that with Sam Alvey, he's a guy that when you count him out, he'll sneak up on you and he'll knock people out. I mean, I know none of us thought he was going to go out there and beat Rashad Evans. Now, granted, it was Rashad at the end of his career, but I would have said back then, you can put Rashad at any point in his career. He's not losing to a guy like Sam Alvey. Wrong. And, uh, you know, he's just known for... You start to be a little cocky. You start skipping days at the gym. You don't get your miles in on that treadmill or on the trail, and you show up to fight Sam Alvey. You know, you got some love handles, and you charge him uh, with your hands down and your chin up. I mean, the guy's got a money right hook that he puts people down with. Uh, You're talking about a guy in Sam Alvey that has 19 wins, 
by knockout. So Ryan Spann's been knocked out more than once, so you can't count out the knockout power of Sam Alvey. It's just when I really break it down, the activity of Sam Alvey is so low that he's going to have to rely on that big shot. But it's interesting because with Ryan Spann's past chin problems, I mean, you're talking about a guy that's been knocked out more than once. I'm curious to see if he's going to be a little bit hesitant with the power of Alvey or if he just goes forward, shows him no respect, and shows him why, hey, I'm one of the new school light heavyweights. You're part of the old school. Uh, go uh, go run along your way, uh, old man. Right? Is he going to treat him like that? So I can't wait to see uh, what happens. And you guys already know the deal. Uh, next week, Shaq and I are going to break down the entire car start to finish, give our picks. I'm going to really go off uh, on how I'm feeling about it. But right now, I just want to give you guys a little bit of a quick glance. And uh, we got some fan questions. So let's get down to these fan questions real quick. My boy Garrett says, being a short notice card, will you be putting more stock into targeting guys who have shown gas tank issues in the past? Good question. Um, well, I, I think the first thing we need to do is look at the lines and try to see where we have value, watch the tape. And yeah, if there's a guy that I notice, oh man, he's such a gasser and now he's taking this fight on a week notice and the line, uh, I got some value on the line. Okay, for sure. But I think what we got to analyze more is how these guys match up and is there value in the lines. Once we take it from there, then we can start looking at stuff like gas tank issues because, hey, this guy might have a gas tank issue, but what about his opponent? We got we to gotta address his opponent too. What if his opponent has a worse gas tank, right? So you got to take each match individually, look at the lines, and take it from there, Garrett. Great question, buddy. Mike says, should Tony and Khabib just meet up in a parking lot when the quarantine is up? Hey, I'm down for it as long as it's filmed, man. As long as it's filmed... And uh, we can all watch it. I'm down. And whether it's a 7-Eleven, whether it's uh, a park trailer, a trailer park, it don't matter. Outside in my backyard, hey, wherever, wherever it goes down, just know that I will be watching. Thurman says, if Tony loses, who does Habib fight next? And who does Tony fight if he loses? Great question. Uh, so I think the UFC really wanted to make uh, that Habib versus Conor rematch. But at the same token, if... If Keiichi goes out there and beats a guy like Tony Ferguson, you'd have to imagine it would be via knockout. So I can totally see a Habib and a Gaethje fight too. And if Tony loses, oh, that's a rough one, especially with the fucking win streak he's on. I've always wanted to see Tony Ferguson versus Dustin Poirier, so maybe they can throw down one time for the fans. All right, let's get to some of these YouTube questions real quick. So my boy Sander says, how do you actually feel about MMA media these days? Feels to me like UFC can't do anything right in their eyes, always complaining. I would assume people would be happy with this card. It's it's disgustingly good, yet all I've read was, should have waited for Habib, this is not safe, blah, blah, blah. He says MMA media sucks. (laughs) Well, you guys know I've been very outspoken about some of these guys from the MMA media, but... The same way I'll I'll criticize, you know, these fucking complainers like that Trent guy. Oh, my God. Have you ever seen anything like that before? Has that guy (laughs) guy ever uh, said anything positive ever before in his life? Like, I feel like we should send that guy like a gift basket to cheer him up. You know what I mean? Even though I'm not going to spend a dime on his ass. uh, But how do I actually feel about MMA media these days? There's some great guys in there. Look, Nolan King, who I had on the first uh, quarantine edition, he's amazing. Dan Tom, I'm a huge fan. Mike Heck, I like that guy a lot. And, and I have a lot of respect uh, for Lynch as well. I think he's been doing his thing for a long time. So there's definitely some good guys in there. But, yeah, those complainers are just, man, the scum of the earth. It's unlike anything I've ever seen before. And there's a reason. They're the reason the UFC won't announce the location because those guys are going to try their best to fuck it up for the rest of us. So, yeah, I, I think. More so than just, you know, 
putting them in the category of MMA media and acting like all MMA media sucks. I think it's really just those guys as individuals. They they just are not happy people. And no matter what happens, no matter, let's say, you know, all the safety precautions are in place, everyone's tested, everyone comes out healthy, they'll still find something to complain about. So you can never satisfy those people. And that's why I use that block and that mute button. And, you know, people are like to give me shit about that. Like, oh, my God, Daniel's a pussy. He blocked me. No, no, actually, I just don't give a fuck what you have to say. And I don't want any negativity on my wall. So that's why I blocked you. What I, I have to read what you have to say. I don't give a fuck what you have to say, you negative piece of shit. So fuck off. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's my mindset on it. I just want to see uh, like-minded individuals, positive people. And if we're not like-minded, at least bring something to the table, right? So, yeah, that, that's my whole opinion on that. Great question, buddy. Ryan Jones says, do you guys feel like the right move was to put this fight together, you know, potentially risking the spread of COVID? Or should they wait until Tony and Khabib can happen? Well, dude, it's already happening, so it doesn't fucking matter what I think. But obviously, I hope they take the proper safety precautions and everyone comes out healthy. I know I've been doing my part. I've been staying in my house, man. That's why Shaq ain't on the show. We've uh, been quarantining separately. He'll be back, though. Uh, we'll do a little Skype talk for this next uh, for the for the fight picks next week. But, yeah, look, I'm rooting for the UFC to do this in the safest and most healthy way possible to ensure that all the athletes and staff are good to go and taken care of. And he also said, is this fight too good for us to see or is it cursed? Like, what's the deal? I mean, dude, uh, I just hope it can eventually happen. Like, let it happen at, at some point, you know? It's not anyone's fault that this fucking pandemic took place uh, at the worst possible time. Fantasy Sports says, do you think the people that are crying and complaining about the card should not be allowed to watch? I mean, I live in the United States. It's a free country. They can do whatever the fuck they want. They have the right to cry about it. They also have the right to watch it. They have the right to be total idiots, total hypocrites. They have, they have every right to do that, so it's not my place to tell them not to. But I also have a right to express my opinion on those people and say that I think they're fucking wimps <laughs> and not follow what they have to say. So we all, we all have a right at the end of the day uh, here in this great country, the United States of America. All right, let me see if there were any more. I think that might have been it. And that was it. Guys, thank you so much for... Uh, for the fan questions. I hope you all enjoyed this little brief uh, UFC 249 quick glance, a uh, little quarantine edition for y'all. And, hey, on Thursday, I'm releasing another quarantine edition with my good friend Bilal Muhammad, UFC welterweight. He was actually supposed to fight Lyman Good. We were supposed to fight, uh, excuse me, we were supposed to talk yesterday, but Lyman actually pulled out the fight, so Bilal sent me a text. He's like, hey, man, let, let me just wait a couple days till I get a, till I get my fight details situated because they're either going to find him a new opponent or – or they're going to wait for Lyman to heal up and just run that one again. So we're going we're gonna to get the whole scoop from Bilal. Don't you worry about that. So I'm going to talk to him on Thursday. I'll, I'll post it up uh, Thursday night. Guys, thank you again so much for, for all your love. And, guys, the bets are back. Go to bestfightpicks.com. Use that promo code 2020 to save 20% off any VIP package. Or use my promo code DAN, all lowercase, to save 10% off my individuals. Last event went out there, cash two underdogs, Marina Moroz against Myra Bueno Silva. I know uh, you had a look. Yeah, I, I know you weren't finding too many people uh, touting that uh, Marina Moroz dog money, but I was. Uh, and also, Charles Dubronx Oliveira, plus 140 against Kevin Lee. <laughs> like that, that was easy work. And I plan to keep up that good work uh, at UFC 249, already down to the studying. So go to bestfightpicks.com, hit me up, and let's get down to business. So, guys, thank you again for the love, the support. Truly appreciate it. Make sure y'all are all staying safe during this time. Take the necessary precautions. If you need someone to talk to, hit me up. Uh, 
Make sure you subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. You can follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Follow me on Instagram at DFL on Drums. But again, if you got you know no profile pick, no followers. I don't know who the fuck you are. I'm probably not going to accept it. But if you send me a message, let me know you're a fan of the show. You're in. <laughs> So, again, guys, thanks. Hey, if you all got some extra time, hook me up with a five-star review on iTunes. You know what I'm saying? Let's get to the top of those charts. Let them know who the number one MMA betting show on planet Earth is. We all know, we all know it's half the battle. So, thank you guys again for making that a reality. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.